Welcome to Viewpoints, listeners. I'm your host, Henry Grossack, and we've got What's Making News, our weekly feature with Russell Hanby on standby. I know Russell's in a good mood today. He's fresh as a daisy because he hasn't had any homework and he's had a week off. But firstly, welcome again to Viewpoints, Russell. Thanks, Henry. You fresh as a daisy? Oh, I suppose I am, especially I'm going to be, yes. Now, what is a daisy? Where does fresh as a daisy come from? No, you did this homework we've done months this, ago. Yes. <laughs> what does it mean? Where's it come from? It, well, I think it looked like it. One theory was the die meaning sun, sort of uh, when the sun comes up and the rays, etc. And yep. another one is waking up and your eyelids, and that's the, the daisy from, you know. And how long ago did that all come out? A couple of hundred years or three or four hundred years? Oh, ago? yes, it goes back many hundred years, I think, yes. Ah. From memory, yes. So uh, all those expressions uh, have origins, don't they, way mm, back? We've had a lot of fun with them over time. We must come up with something else like best quotes. I was, um, have you got a quote that you like any more than any other? Um, no, I can't think of anything now, uh, really, uh, offhand. No? I mean, I mean, some of those Churchill quotes were quite good. You know, we'll fight them on the beaches, etc. Yes. And what, how does that one go? <laughs> well, it goes with that, and then it goes a bit further than that, doesn't it? Yes. Yeah. Uh, I, can't quite, I can't recall. There's a lot of inspiring people in the world, isn't there, that, um, or, or inspiring in the sense that they're capable of making um, wonderful quotes. You know, and yes. uh, Churchill was one, what was it? We'll f- meet him on the battlegrounds or something? Or the, I've forgotten that quote. But, yeah, we'll but never it, surrender. And all that we'll case. never surrender. Um, your football club surrendered pretty meekly too, well, I well, might add. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we didn't go to good. You're up against them this uh, week too, aren't you, the Port Adelaide? Uh, yes. I don't think we'll surrender quite so meekly though. No. Probably going to be one of the closer matches, I think, of the two, of the, of the lot, yes. Yeah, what's your tip? How do you think we're all going to go? Well, I picked uh, Port Adelaide just to beat Collingwood. Did you? Why? Yes. Oh, because I think they might, being number one and uh, you're down number six or something on the ladder, so I just went on the uh, past performances, I suppose. Oh, OK. Well, we'll agree to disagree there. The pies are up and running. Talking about quotes, as we both know, I love poetry, and one of my favourite poets is a rom- one of the romantic poets, um, an Irish poet, one of known as one of the... 20, one of the most um, eminent of uh, Western poets of the 20th century, um, William Butler Yeats. I've always loved his poetry, but he's also well-renowned, Russell, for some of the quotes he's made. And uh, timeless quotes are ultimately the measure of a good quote, aren't they? Yes. If yes, the timelessness. Oh, well, can I read a few out? I've done some homework without even being given homework. That's called proactivity, isn't it? It is, yes. Teachers so, love proactive kids, don't they? <laughs> <laughs> I'll just read a couple out of uh, out of some of the wonderful ones that uh, William Butler Yeats made, and they might even have relevance today. Um, Education is not the filling of a pail, but the lighting of a fire. Oh, that's good, isn't it? Uh, yes. By logic and reason, we die hourly. By imagination we live. Mm. Do not wait to strike till the iron is hot, but make it hot by striking. All all empty souls tend towards extreme opinions. 
It takes more courage to dig deep in the dark corners of your own soul and the back alleys of your society than it does for a soldier to fight on the battlefield. And the last one, I won't read them more because we've got other things to do, but this is a good one. We taste and feel and see the truth. We do not reason ourselves into it. Yes, they're very deep and they're meaningful. Yeah. Mm, well, he was a, he was a deep-thinking man, and he wrote some beautiful poetry. But um, oh, look, there's lots of ways of sustaining ourselves in these challenging times, and uh, I, I often find it uh, in the inspiration of people such as William Butler Yeats. Uh, we all have our ways of the artists of the world who who give you who nourish nourish your mind and your spirit. So when was he uh, doing it? Uh, he the, died uh, in the beginning of the year of the war, 1939. So he, I think he lived from about 1867, somewhere around there. Right. Um, yeah, till 1939. Um, so most of his work, I suppose, was done around the start of that century, I yep, guess. Yep, it was. He was, he was the guy that uh, was part of that uh, era of the transition to the modernists in poetry. Um, and, and he wrote a famous poem um, which was featured in 89 Charing Cross Road, which starred, um, which starred Anthony Hopkins as a bookseller of, of um, antique books. A beautiful film, a very sad film in many ways. Uh, and there was a poem in there by William Butler Yeats that... Um, was 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 of importance to the character that um, Anthony Hopkins played in that uh, in that film, um, and there's your homework for mm. after the holidays. What was the poem that that Anthony Hopkins that meant a lot to him uh, in the context of the film Eighty Four Charing Cross Road, in which he starred as a bookseller of ancient books? Okay, there you go. There is a poem by William Butler, a famous poem. He had many famous poems, but it's one that I think um, it certainly resonates with me. I loved all his poetry, but that's one. And because I saw it in the film, um, it had uh, extra import for me. Right. There we go, we've done literature, now it's time to do... And I did... Hey, listen, you must be impressed. All those times that I was um, failing to do my homework and dragging the chain, which I wasn't much chop at when I was at school, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) Here I am, there's hope for anyone, if there's hope for me, to proactively create homework and bring it to the... To the airwaves, Russell. As an ex-teacher, you must be gobblesmacked. Yeah, I am. Gobblesmacked. There is a philosophical question. Is it homework when it wasn't set? Ah, that's a very good question. And if a person does the homework and doesn't think it's homework, is it homework? That's a retort. Yes. (laughs) So the art of good homework is to make it seem like it's not homework. That's right. And we've almost used half our segment philosophically. What's making poetry or what's making philosophy, shouldn't we? Absolutely. we better get cracking, Russ. The age. Families thrilled over the OK on visits in the age. The... the people, they live 260 kilometres apart in country Victoria and they've been banned from visiting each other under COVID-19 restrictions. Like many others, the family 
one lot in Castlemaine, the other in Ventnor, Phillip Island. That's almost two extremes of Victoria. They're excited that they will now be permitted to visit one another again under the easing of restrictions in rural Victoria. Yes, and we know that as of Thursday, yesterday, in the regional areas, social bubbles of two households are allowed, uh, no distance requirements, uh, as long as they live in the uh, outer areas of uh, Victoria, into the uh, regional areas. It does enable the families or any two families to, to meet and travel to visit each other in the, in their houses to a degree, doesn't it? Now, they can also transit through Melbourne. That was a bit of a worry whether they could, but now that's all been cleared to get there. So they don't have to do a big detour. And uh, because we know that from yesterday, regional areas moved to step three, otherwise known as stage two, while, of course, Melbourne remains in stage four, very much still locked down. Yes, absolutely. An interesting question that some people were talking about on that very topic, and we're certainly pleased for those people, Russell, is that Ventnor and um, Castlemaine are either sides of Melbourne in some ways, aren't they? Now, we get a $5,000 fine if we in Melbourne go to Ventnor or Castlemaine and, and get caught, don't we? That's right, yes, a now new they, increased fine. Now, in passing through Melbourne, are they allowed to stop and spend much time mixing with us on their way to the next venue or back home? Because you could you can argue in a technical sense if they're floating around Melbourne, there's a risk they could, a heightened risk compared to the country areas of catching COVID. So are there any terms of, of um, no. reference to how they... No, they can through only, Melbourne. They can travel through Melbourne for those four reasons that we can. They can get medical treatment, they can get supplies, and they can get food or drink uh, and then go through. So they can, in fact, shop at uh, supermarkets, I guess, for food and that, or food shops. So uh, it's just an interesting uh, one, isn't it? That we can do all those things in Melbourne, but we can't leave Melbourne. They no. can do the similar things in Melbourne, but I presume they're not here every day. They're just passing through, so the risk is much lower. Not trying to cry for any wedges. It's just interesting, um, very difficult to come up with guidelines that every single person will say they're perfect and fair and equitable. It's uh, it's a challenging time. But, no, good luck to those people, Russ. Yes. The other argument is that when they enter Melbourne for the first time, they'll probably show their licence and know they're from the country, and they'll say, oh, no, we're going through with the... Uh, you know, it's on their word that they continue on through, isn't it? That is so true. Got, that is I think true. what happened, I got the impression they open up the regions, oh, yes, we can travel and meet people in family homes and that, but uh, they hadn't thought of what if they need to go through Melbourne, and so it was quickly put together, I think, uh, like one of the many things that happened in this particular time, isn't it? Yeah, look, it's an interesting one, Russell. Look, I think um, we're all focused on the fact the numbers are going down daily, which is a good thing, and we've got our fingers crossed for a vaccine down the track as soon as possible. Would that be probably what we're all doing? I think so. The vaccine is really the, uh, okay. the main thing that will eliminate yes, all Yes, it's a tired record saying it, but it is so true. Will you take a short break? Can you hold the line? Yes, certainly. Welcome 
Welcome back to Viewpoints, listeners. I'm your host, Henry Grossek, and we're in the middle of what's making news with Russell Handbit. I will share something, listeners. During that uh, break, uh, Russell Russell complained about the fact that uh, that I, I was talking about all that poetry, and he ended up getting homework for the holidays. Russell, do you want to do you want to do you want to continue your complaint? No, no, I'm, 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 I'm used to it now. I'm right here. <laughs> You weren't off air. <laughs> we'll move on. The Errol Sun, Russell. Yes, values added to citizenship test. Aspiring Australians will have to study study up on our values of mutual respect, equality and democracy before sitting a revamped citizenship test. And from November the 15th, the 20-question multiple choice test will include five questions about Australian values, which prospective citizens must answer correctly to pass. Now, they also require migrants to understand and support religious tolerance, the right to vote and Australia's rule of law. Now, it's come about uh, because well, acting Immigration, Citizenship and Multicultural Affairs Minister Alan Tudge says the questions were more a meaningful addition to the test, which had thus far focused on basic Australian facts and the mechanics of our system of government. Now, applicants need to answer at least 75% altogether of the, uh, the test. And Mr Tudge said our values had held us together over the decades and had underpinned the freedom and prosperity which attracts new citizens. In the last financial year, 204,817 people became Australian citizens. That's actually up 60% in 12 months. Absolutely. Now, has there been any criticism of that that you're aware of in that piece? Um, Not really. I haven't uh, come across any of you. No, I haven't come in that article. Do you think people... Because, Pete, there, there is controversy over the tests that they have for people to become Australian citizens. Not whether they should have one, but the nature of it, I think, has been a criticism in the past. Do you have any problems with them? Yes. Uh, oh, I think some people had trouble, perhaps, with the language at one stage. Yes, state, yes. Uh, but uh, I'm looking at some of the existing questions, you know, what happened in Australia on January the 1st, 1901 and that which is fairly basic uh, stuff, isn't it? And what is a referendum? The new questions are like, uh, should people in Australia make an effort to learn English? A lot of these are obvious answers, aren't they? Almost yeah, rhetorical. should people tolerate one another where they find that they disagree? Most of those values, I would think, are pretty universal, aren't they? I think they wouldn't matter with um, People, I think so. most societies have got those sorts of values. Moving on, Russell, the Herald Sun, new energies payday. Interesting this. Hundreds of millions of dollars will be targeted at new energy technologies such as clean coal and hydrogen as our Prime Minister Scott Morrison moves to strip back subsidies for solar and wind power. Now, that's guaranteed to polarise debate, isn't it? It is, yes. Uh, because what's happening, he said that the solar panels and wind farms that we tend to think of with renewable energy yep. coming to the fore, I suppose, they're now clearly commercially viable, he says, and don't need government subsidies as much. Uh, and the market has stepped up to invest, so he says we're going to redirect uh, $1.6 billion for the Australian Renewable Energy Agency to invest over the next decade via grants on projects worth $50 million. And... Uh, <clears throat> $193 million in federal budget will target uh, carbon capture and storage, uh, pilot programs for that. What they want to do is trap carbon dioxide, uh, e.g. from coal-powered uh, or coal-fired power stations, and store it underground, like a bass strait uh, offshore from the Latrobe Valley. 
and uh, also 74 million to support hydrogen, electric, and biofuel vehicles. So uh, uh, it's sort of a bit of a move away, isn't it, from uh, the solar business? And, and so the wind power, it. yeah, yeah. It's an interesting, curious one because it probably goes down. Uh, that divide between the people who support the coal industry versus those who look at um, the renewables, such as solar and wind and even um, tidal power, those sorts of renewables. So it's interesting trying to find a way to make those viable when the renewables, uh, the others, um, are so proven to be excellent technologies. Yes, and uh, clean coal is the latest uh, talk, isn't it? The, yeah, well, they've had a lot of trouble keep... finding clean coal, and a lot of countries yeah. have been researching clean coal, haven't they? Yes, and it'll be interesting to see just how much they can trap the uh, carbon dioxide, etc., uh, underground, won't it, how that will work. Yeah, well, you'd also think that trapping... You, you wouldn't... I, I wouldn't think you could argue, Russell, that storing carbon dioxide underground is environmentally cleaner than solar power or wind power. No. Because you've still got, you've still got, you've still got, you're contaminating the earth, it's just out of sight. Yes. And it could have ramifications. And how much can you do before you blow the world, the earth up, so to speak? (laughs) And metaphorically, I'm saying, it's, it's interesting that there's such a strong attempt to still make those industries uh, that are based around coal predominantly viable. I, I know this, there's a lot of coal in the world and in our country and it's tempting. It's a bit like uranium, isn't it? Yes, it is. Uh, that, so uh, it's uh, going to be interesting. It's interesting how they're going to trap the CO2 and what do they do? They do something with this trapped CO2? Do they convert it to something or, uh, or interesting, what? Interesting, interesting. I would have thought we'd be going hell for leather with the other renewables. Times on the wing, Russell, setback for female CEO numbers in the age. Only one woman was promoted to the role of CEO at a 25 appointments at Australia's largest companies over the past year. In a sign, gender equality in the professional world is going backwards. Not healthy from that angle at all, is it? No, in an annual census by advocacy group, uh, chief, uh, their chief executive uh, women, or that, no, it's called chief executive, executive women, uh, it tracked the number of women in leadership positions at the ASX 200 companies over the past four years, and uh, their CEO, Sue Morford, was disappointed by the results. She says corporate Australia is still not seeing it as worthwhile to promote women to higher levels. In fact, 10 women are CEOs among the ASX 200 companies uh, now compared with 11 uh, in 2017. So it's not very high and actually gone down. The number of companies with no senior women has increased from 57 to 65%. So she sort of blames the ingrained sexism and a bias towards promoting familiar faces that's created barriers to progress and also thinks the government should do more to improve childcare and parental leave that uh, may help to get women back in the workforce. So it's the senior positions, though, that uh, aren't having the women, isn't it? It's hard to argue with, um, with that criticism of, the, of the, uh, the, the situation, Russell, absolutely. Odd spot, here you go. Yes. Uh, the, the, well, there's been one positive, I suppose, uh, coming out of the coronavirus pandemic in a way. The lull brought on by the pandemic has led rare pink dolphins to return to the seas around Hong Kong. Sightings of the vulnerable Chinese white dolphin have risen by 30% since the boat and ferry traffic was suspended in March. Normally, 
this entire area would be full of fast ferries taking people from Hong Kong to Macau and back again, said marine scientist Lindsay Porter. Dolphins we haven't seen for four, five, six years are back in the Hong Kong habitat. So that's uh, one thing, I suppose, that's good to come out of it, isn't it? Yes, absolutely. And they are rare. I remember we were in Hong Kong some years ago and they took us on a a trip to see one of these uh, pink dolphins and they're it was quite a privilege because there were so few around, so we, we did see one. But it's good that they're a bit more common. It's it's interesting, isn't it, what we've yes. done to the environment in so many different ways. Time's on the wing, Russ. I know you want to get onto that homework as quickly as possible. It'll take you three weeks to work it out. Um, and I look forward to your answer um, post-school holidays. Oh, well, OK. I'll see how I get on. <laughs> Thanks very much for that. <laughs> look, I have complete confidence in your ability to... Sniff out an answer. Anyway, and have a good break yourself, and we'll see you in a few weeks' time. We will. That was Russell Hanby, listeners, What's Making News. Uh, He's a great guy, and he'll always come up with an answer for homework. Uh, We'll take a short break. Don't go away. (laughs) 